Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here with co-host Pete Wall. Pete, how are you this week? I'm very good, Paul. I'm very good. Very happy to be here and very excited for today's show. Um, We've got a doozy today, man. As you are well aware, we're going to be counting down a top five that I think we've both been looking forward to. And it seems like listeners to the show have also been looking forward to because we've had a lot of good feedback on this one. So rather than wasting any time with idle chat about the kind of semi-interest to very uninteresting things that we've been doing recently. Although I know you, sir, have been like working about eight hours, uh, sorry, eight days a week in the in the last yeah, week. Pretty busy, pretty tired, but happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I feel similarly. Um, so what we've got on the day on today's show, as we always do, is three acts. Act one today will be a news section in which we round up a few of the things that have gone on in the film world recently. Not least the passing of two particularly uh, well-known and admired film directors. After that, Act 2, which is going to be this week's feature review, which is The Girl in the Spider's Web, uh, the new Lisbeth Salander story. Um, From that point, we'll jump into our top five, Paul. The top five this time is going to be Act 3, and we're going to count down the top five female badass leading characters or protagonists in movies. Um, Yeah, excited to get to that. But before we do all of that good stuff, we're going to get to the section that we like to call What Have You Been Watching? Paul Anderson... What have you been watching? Well, I've watched quite a lot this week, uh, which is quite surprising how much I've been working, but I've managed to squeeze some in. Uh, The first of which is uh, a 1994 Studio Ghibli effort, which I'd never heard of before, called Pom Poco. Uh, This is directed by Aseo Takamata. I'm going to go with that. Nailed it. Director of Grave of of the Fireflies, which is one of my favourite animated films, and it's devastatingly harsh. But this isn't that. This is Pom Poco. Um, This is a film, Pete, that is essentially about raccoons... That living a forest that's um, that there's an, a strong environmental message here. Raccoons that can transform into almost any disguise or anything, in fact, um, try and fight and regain their land from the human invaders, the people who are destroying their woodland. So, sort of standard, well, standard fare for Studio Ghibli. That's, that's how, that sounds derogatory to Studio Ghibli, but we're in the kind of Princess Mononoke territory here in terms of its environmental message, which is great. Um, but I'll be honest, this is my least favourite Studio Ghibli film I've seen. I I would I won't go as far as to say I didn't like it, so I can still genuinely say I've not disliked a Studio Ghibli film. But I think this is the worst I've seen. It's, it runs just over two hours. It's a little bit too long. It, it's very, very plodding in its pacing. It, it's visually very, very creative. And like the Transformer Raccoons is great. The imagination on the screen is great. But that's a given, really, with a Ghibli film. So... I would say, yeah, if you haven't, oh, there's a number of Ghibli films I haven't seen and I probably should have watched before this one. So, yeah, not the best Ghibli. Still worth checking out if you're a fan, but there are better out there. Um, the next thing, uh, moving briefly on, Shoplifters. Pete, very excited to see this one. This is this year's Palm Door winner um, from another director whose name I'm about to butcher, Hirokatu Kurida. Um, so this, as I said, won the Palme d'Or at Cannes this year. This is an incredible film, Pete, I have to say. Like, if you can seek this one out, or listeners at home, like, seek this one out if you can. It's deservedly picked up a lot of plaudits. Um, it's heartbreaking and heartwarming in equal measure. Um, I won't really, I'm not going to go into the story at all, really, because I don't really want to spoil anything for anyone. But it's just incredibly well acted. It's the kind of material that in the wrong hands could be very, very overwrought. 
and it just isn't and it's a film that will stay with you um and yeah i would be very surprised if this doesn't make the uh, the top 10 of the year peak for me um again going into another recent one this is another netflix one that i haven't picked up that i haven't caught up with this is the other side of the wind i think we talked about this pete um a little while ago this is the one that netflix uh have put back together it's a lost orson wells film essentially that i think his daughter and a team of editors have put back together stars john huston and peter bogdanovich is that the guy's name I think that's his you name. You saw it. Uh, and, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Completely forgot his name there. Um, yeah, it's a razor-sharp deconstruction and an absolute skewering of the Hollywood studio system and like the cult of celebrity around a director. Um, there's interestingly a, a documentary that Netflix released at the same time of this called They'll Love Me When I'm Dead, I think is what it's called, about Orson Welles. It's rumoured that this could have been autobiographical, as I said, about a cult that develops around this director and how he's kind of untouchable and, yeah, a very bizarre character. But it's incredibly well written. It looks fantastic. There's a whole meta thing going on with a film within a film, the film that he's making. It's about him, this director, played by John Huston, making a film. That's all great. It's a little bit long, the pace and pacing issues, but considering it's been restored by editors who didn't work the original footage and Orson Welles isn't around to finish this, it's quite a remarkable achievement, I have to say, that it's come out this good. So anyone with an interest in film or an interest in Hollywood should definitely check this out. Uh, And the last one, which I only saw last night as part of Odeon's Screen Unseen, which if people aren't aware of, you basically pay to see a film, The Odeon, and you don't know what it is. Um, They knocked it out of the park this week, Pete. They really knocked it out of the park with Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You. Um, quite frankly, one of my favourite films of the year. Definitely the funniest film I've seen this year, starring Lakeith Stanfield uh, yeah. as a call centre worker um, who becomes increasingly jaded with working in a call centre. Having done these jobs myself, this film skewers that kind of capitalist or salesman environment with to perfection. Um, and goes in a direction that you will not see coming it is superb check it out it's out on general release i think on the 7th of december if you can find it see it it's as good as people say it is that's what i've been watching Pete. how quick was that that was good wasn't it you banged it out yeah (laughs) lakeith stanfield has has got to the heady heights of having a guardian article trying quite hard to uh stay stay in with the cool kids where they've suggested that maybe lakeith (laughs) stanfield might be the coolest man working in hollywood or whatever um but yeah yes i did read that i'm i'm into to the first opportunity i have to see that movie well and um yeah that and uh shoplifters that you mentioned as well yeah both of those definitely on the radar and just um in my little provincial sort of uh, middle of nowhere countryside (laughs) town i just don't have this kind of access um so what i have done instead mate is i've watched a dolph lundgren movie from a few years ago um i'm gonna kick off with that one so uh this is what i get i get which one is this four-year-old dolph lundgren movies so um i have watched a bunch of stuff this week because i've decided to get back on decent form after a good few weeks of pathetic sort of one or zero contributions in terms of movies (laughs) so this one yeah is uh called skin trade sounds promising right uh from director Ekachai Ukrongtham, let's say. Um, One of the things... We've got all the director's names Yeah, (laughs) one of the things that would really set your your pulse a quickening when you were looking into the the, the finer details of this movie, Skin Trade, is that Dolph Lundgren is not only a star of the movie, but also co-wrote the screenplay. So you know it's going to be brilliant. Um, In this movie, he plays a family man um, who has his entire family slain, or so he thinks, by a Serbian gangster played by... By uh, Hellboy, uh, Ron Perlman, 
with international interest. So the NYC detective that is Dolph Lundgren here, Nick Cassidy, I think is his name, goes off to Southeast <laughs> Asia and teams up with a Thai detective, obviously, played by the only man befitting a Thai detective who's going to kick some heads in, Tony Jaa. Um, and then they go on this... I was going to... I could have guessed. I could have guessed. Yeah, then, then they go on this kind of, yeah, face-kicking uh, sort of parade for a little bit of time. Um, I mean, there's not loads to say about skin trade. It's not a good movie. Uh, however, the, the sort of resounding feeling that I had about it was, why haven't we got more Tony Jaa and less Dolph Lundgren? Uh, Dolph Lundgren here really looks like a, a guy who's a little bit punch drunk and maybe needs to take, uh, you know, full-time step to the uh, screenwriting, although on the evidence of the screenplay here, maybe maybe not so much. Um, yeah, I mean, Ron Perlman has a fun time being a Serbian person, and um, some of the Tony Jar stuff is decent, but if you're like a, a martial arts fan or like a martial arts movie fan or a Tony Jar fan, you know that things like uh, the the uh, Warrior King or whatever it's called and Ong Bak and stuff like that exist, and you don't really need this movie in your life. I would say also about it, mate, that um, one thing I noticed is that Dolph Lundgren's character, Nick Cassidy, has got a wife for a bit of the film before she is ended. Um, and he also has a daughter, but they're pretty much exactly the same age. I think the actresses are like seven or eight <laughs> years different. So, um, yeah, she he's a paedophile, I guess. I don't know. A, a lot of strange <laughs> stuff going on there. Then I also caught up with a movie that... <laughs> Move on from a that. A movie that maybe is a little bit more significant um, than that one, which is Candyman from 1992. Hadn't ever seen it. Um, you've seen this, haven't you? Yeah, I love this film. I love this film. For our audio for our audio show, Paul has there held up some sort of steel book of the film in question. And it's not a steel book, it's a limited edition era video oh box set. Oh my sets. god, I hate you. Right. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, Candyman, I don't know. I thought this was a sort of like super cheesy early 90s movie. You've not seen movie. this before, sorry. No, I haven't. Right. No, not until, oh, okay. until I oh, saw it cool. the other day. Cool, cool, I saw it at about five or six in the morning. I woke up particularly early and I decided to give this a go. And um, <laughs> yeah, so things to say about it. Um, it's from this thing, uh, Forbidden, from Clive Barker, but it's actually directed by a guy called Bernard Rose. I don't know a lot about him. Um, the, the things that... I appreciate are that like the opening to the movie is incredibly dark. It's the whole sort yes. of um, voiceover of Candyman with the bees and the 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 monologue about slitting you open with a hook from your groin to your face or whatever is is brutal stuff. Also, uh, the actress Virginia Madsen is someone I like a lot, and she obviously is the the female lead in this movie. Um, what? How highly do you regard Candyman, Paul? I don't want to like say anything out of turn, and I'm also interested in, in what you think. No, I rate it. Quite, I rate it fairly highly. If I'm if I'm honest, again, I think when I first watched it, I was kind of people talk talk about Candyman, and I think there's this kind of misconception sometimes that he is this kind of Freddy or Jason kind of slasher thing that runs you know what i mean that that kind of sort of classic slasher character i rate Candyman quite highly if i'm honest Pete, I, but i don't get the impression you do no I, <laughs> I, I i i wouldn't jump to that conclusion i i was just getting your opinion but like i think actually Candyman's got more going on than initially meets the eye i think um although i'm yes, looking at the poster sure. here where a, a b is very much meeting the eye but um yeah the, this is a movie to me that has i can't i can't say too much without being a bit spoilery there's a there's more going on than meets the eye I 
I guess I'll leave it there. Like, I, I don't think that if you read Candyman as a straight-up slasher movie, you've maybe got your, your full value out of this thing. I think there's more going on. I think there's a lot more going on with the Virginia Madsen character than there might initially it's a lot. It's a lot deeper film than people... I think a lot of people give it credit for. It's a much cleverer film than your usual your usual slasher. And I think that to, kind of took people took people by surprise, really. But yeah, no, I really I really rate Candyman. I've got a lot of time for it. Sequels, again, are kind of dimi- certainly diminishing returns. But the first one is... Yeah, I, I think it's brilliant. I like it a lot. Um, so talking of other things that maybe I'll, I'll ask your opinion about before I wade in with mine. Um, I've seen, for I guess, the first time... I've, I don't think I've ever seen the movie the whole way through. Uh, Escape from New York from 1981, the Kurt Russell vehicle that has... Uh, oh, and now Paul's holding up. What is that? A steel book? Is it a limited edition? No, that's, What's that's that? That's the limited edition uh, 4K uh, Studio Canal release that arrived today, actually, of Escape from New York with the uh, CD soundtrack and art card. Did it arrive at the same time as all your friends? Uh, no, I've lost them now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I just, I mean, Escape from New York, man. Like, again, I should have got to this sooner. Uh, we did that whole chat for ages about like stuff that I should have seen sooner and should be berated for not seeing. But um, I think that it's a sort of um, a bit of a split opinion from my side, which is that if I had sat down in the cinema in 1981 to watch this movie and it had opened the way that it opened, I definitely would have thought this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. uh, because we've got this sort of electro version of New York with sort of all silhouetted neon lighting and stuff. And it's done with what looks like about a thousand dollars of budget, but it still manages to look really fucking cool uh then the movie itself has like moments that are like excellent memorable uh really cool and then you've got moments like moments like when he shoots the uh hole in the wood and then dives through the hole that he's just made with bullets (laughs) stuff like that brilliant uh the scene where the car goes onto a landmine and then splits perfectly in half bits like that but then you've also got bits that are incredibly wooden and just seem like slightly underwritten and not particularly well performed even by Kurt Russell himself what's your take on Escape from New York is it like your favorite film or it's, or, or it's, it's, so it's up there I have to say I mean it wouldn't hit my top 10 but it probably hit top 20 top 50 something like that I, I do love yeah. it but then I think I remember seeing it as a kid I was a kid when I first saw it not I didn't see it when it first came out, but I remember my dad showed it to me on VHS, and I absolutely loved it. So, and I think if you look at this, it's one of those films. If you look at look at like the influence it's had, um, well, Metal Gear Solid, for example, Snake Pliskin. He's called uh, Snake's Solid uses Snake, a code. Yeah. Solid Snake uses a code name of Iroquois Pliskin at some point in one of the games, which yeah, is right. a direct. And he's a, yeah, and Kojima said that he, like he is meant to be basically he's Snake Pliskin essentially. So if you look at the influence it's had, um, and you look at like the visual style of it, even in something like Hotel Artemis now, like the like the visual style of it there's there's similarities in the influence it's had so i think it yeah if you look at it now for the first time it is quite low budget it looks a little bit shonky but and 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 i think it probably did at the time to be honest but there was just some there was just something kind of guerrilla and underground about it i think and that's that's what john carpenter did really well i think personally i i would imagine it's an influence on a lot of things but like things come to mind like um enter the void the gaspar noe movie like the way that in that movie uh, he hovers the camera above the city and it's all like outlined yeah, in lights and it, and it looks idea. like a much, much more expensive version of, of this. But you say like things that it's um, produced, given rise to, including Solid Snake and stuff like that. And not least, what's a movie that we've reviewed recently where a man's dropped in behind enemy lines and in grave danger of his own you know, life? Uh, well, it's the movie Overlord starring Wyatt Russell. Well, yes, and when you, when yeah. you watch this, you re- realise Wyatt Russell <laughs> being mid-30s or whatever, Kurt Russell 
Russell being about 30 when they made Escape from New York, they look so similar. They do. Like, they wow, it's, do, yeah. it's uncanny. So, yeah, I'm really glad that I caught up with it. It's not maybe as highly regarded by me as it is you, but, yeah, really glad I got to it, and there's loads of cool stuff in there. So, yeah, don't waste any more time if you're like me and hadn't seen it yet. The next one I don't want to talk about very much, Paul, it is the new Fantastic Beast movie called The Crimes of Grindelwald. I guess. Grindelwald, I think. I haven't, I haven't got to this yet, I'll be honest. I'm not in a massive rush to either. But. This is um, two hours and 14 minutes of my life Ugh. that I will not get back. Um, I, I enjoyed the first movie. I went in with very low expectations. I was kind of slightly coerced into seeing it. And I, and I really quite enjoyed it. And I thought that even the things that are slightly grating, um, like our friend in the leading role, Eddie Redmayne, like, I thought he was actually good. I, I think it was one of the, the times I've thought, like, I oh, know I've enjoyed Eddie Redmayne quite a bit in this in this movie though i found him irritating again um i also found that it dragged it was incredibly tedious most of the movie is people having conversations in rooms with sort of um like the, the, the francesca tells me it's, it's sort of iconic harry potter mu- music but it sounds to me like the mu- music that goes along with like the alton towers advert or something like that's playing in the background and then you've got at the center of it grindenwald himself grindelwald himself played by johnny depp and johnny depp here just seems like he's in a coma i, I <laughs> yeah i i don't know man i maybe it was just the time it caught me at or something like that but no i i'm reading sort of a few reviews around it from from other places other sources and it seems like i'm not in the in the minority so yeah fuck that movie did not enjoy it uh if you <laughs> the, the thing is paul I, I get this but like when francesca for example uh, has said to me you know the thing is you don't know all about the harry universe and the characters and my argument is i shouldn't, I shouldn't need to. to for this yeah, to yeah. be a good movie you know? i could completely agree you shouldn't have to you should be able to go into it and it'd be a good movie in its own and, right. and when i went to see the first one i didn't know about harry potter lore and stuff like that either and i enjoyed that movie so i think this one from that point of view is is a failure uh the last one for me paul and then i'm out of this bit is called cam this is one on netflix that i think you've seen as well i watched it this week it's not out on blu-ray uh otherwise i might have a still book but i don't have anything to show you visibly on this one steel book so, yes. of this <laughs> so this is a 2018 sort of cybery horror movie um directed by i think first time feature director daniel goldhaber um it stars an actress called madeline brewer who i don't have you seen elsewhere do you know her from other stuff no no i don't think i do i can't bother to look it up but um yeah so the setup is basically she is a cam girl um and then somebody seems to have been able to hack her account but the weird sort of twist to it is that the person who's hacked her cam girling account looks identical to her at first she thinks that that hacker is just playing footage from her previously uploaded videos to her cam channel uh, and then she realizes um that the character the the girl it on camera is actually reacting in real time so it can't be footage that's being played back it's kind of an intriguing proposition as a setup um we've seen things like uh nerve recently dealing with technology and social media and stuff like that uh we've seen that movie that we quite liked uh unfriended is that right unfriended did good stuff with with tech things and and interconnectedness and then particularly recently on netflix paul i saw a movie called uh, teenage cocktail which i think is a better movie than this and deals with kind of similar material this thing to me sort of fell apart under the weight of its own ambition um did you like it more than me uh, yeah i really enjoyed it actually i have to say i went in with zero expectations i was very tired and i was like okay this looks like a trashy bit of exploitation filmmaking this will this will do for now i want to watch a film this will do 
Uh, and maybe it's again, maybe it's low expectation that I went in with. But I, I thought it was decent. I thought it it was decently paced. It plodded along. For, I say it was decently paced and then plodded along. It, it nipped along at a, a fair old pace. And I think it kind of it narrowly avoided being like a, a complete sleazy mess. And actually, I think it was quite an effective. I, th- I think it was quite an effective horror film. I, mean, quite, I, quite I, I just felt maybe that the 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 most interesting thing here is the uh, consequences or are the consequences of the realisation that she makes about the girl on screen. But the movie's not really interested in dealing with that. And like when you've seen, I say seen, um, there's a like an audio podcast that went out a little while ago called Life After, which is in similar territory, but really takes the bulls by the horns in, uh, the bull by the horns in terms of dealing with like, what does it mean to have an ongoing sort of digital dust identity and I thought it did it in a more interesting way whereas this a lot of it is like uh doing that thing where it's sort of like condemning the way that we've been sucked into living in a digital world but then also enjoying sort of looking at girls running around in pants and vest tops and stuff um that doesn't make it bad it just made it to me kind of (laughs) passe and like run of the mill and yeah it's got an interesting idea at its heart i just don't think it knew what to do with that idea in 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 my opinion anyway but yeah that one's cam it's on netflix now check it out if you like um paul anything else to add or shall we get out of here before we get back with that one uh no let's get back we'll be back shortly with some news So here we are, act number one, as Paul uh, gave such fanfare. Um, I should say again, this section is called News. News <laughs> is our act one section, ba- basically because, ba- basically because Paul, uh, we've had two bits of news in particular that were quite uh, sad this last week. Um, the death of both Nicholas Roeg and um, also Bernardo Bertolucci, both filmmakers that we're well aware of, both filmmakers that I think we both admire, and both filmmakers, I think, Paul, that we would like to have seen more work from. Not so much future work, because these were both men... Um, who were further along in their careers and and their lives as well. But I mean, in terms of really getting into their catalogue, it's almost tempting to do like a retrospective episode at some point. But before that, I mean, what are the standout things first from Nicholas Roeg and then maybe from um, Bertolucci that that means something to you or have sort of resonated with you or touched you in any way? Well, Bertolucci, I've not seen a lot of. I think I've seen Last Tango in Paris many years ago and The Dreamers only once. So I can't really talk with much authority about Bertolucci and it would kind of be yeah, disrespectful but I think for me those to are, do but so. But those are also two um, but, but they're two yeah, important those are the movies two as well. So I yeah. think, I mean, do, do you like those yeah. movies? I mean, because it's very easy. Yes, I do like those movies. It, yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. easy, I think, when, when a filmmaker passes away and everybody in the sort of film world says, you know, it, it's very sad and of course when someone passes away it is. But to say like, oh, what a wonderful guy he was and his films are all amazing I mean Bertolucci's a guy who has uh, courted controversy at at times I I believe like the last tango in Paris simulated rape Mm. scene where his lead actress wasn't aware of what was going to happen and then he uh, himself afterwards said that he thought it was the wrong thing to do but would have done it again so I mean do those movies are they like important movies to you or do they stand out as some of your favourites or do you think that like maybe he's a director that you are just 
middling on. Uh, I haven't rushed to see any of it. I haven't rushed to see much of his stuff. I'll be I'll be honest. I said the Dreamers I thought was was solid. Last Tango in Paris I thought was was decent. Um, he's not a director that's ever that's ever jumped out at me. Um, but he's a director of some influence for sure. And then I suppose that takes us to uh, Nicholas Roeg. So yeah, what's your take there? Nicholas Roeg, uh, I'm certainly more familiar with um, highlights. It really has to be Don't Look Now, which is just an incredible horror film. Just absolutely superb. Just a visual a visual delight and genuinely terrifying. Um, and the other highlight for me would be, uh, and I didn't realise this until we were do, was doing some research for this, he also directed 1990's The Witches with Angelica Houston in it. Have you ever seen this? Cause I this, don't it's think the role, so. It's the Roald Dahl adaptation of The Witches. And I haven't seen it for years, but I have to say, I remember this scaring the living shit out of myself and my sister when we were kids. And it's always, always stuck with me. I can almost remember this film scene for scene. <laughs> Um, so yeah and I had no idea it was Nicholas Rowe directed it until we are doing the research for the show so yeah but The Witches and Don't Look Now stand out for me as, as Nicholas Rowe films um, again like a very very visual filmmaker a very talented filmmaker for sure so and and I think that yeah I'm in a similar place to you I mean I've seen yeah a small handful of Bertolucci films and, and maybe only Maybe only don't look now from Roeg. Okay. Possibly, I'd have to go through a sort of full list, and so it's one of those things where it's, I guess, out of such um, sad news comes an opportunity, and that opportunity is to really catch up with and enjoy some of the best work of these these directors who are departed. So hopefully, like we'll get to look again or look in more depth at some of that work on future shows and also potentially then future top fives as well as we get further into our the life of our sort of top five. Um, tentpole uh, features in the, in the show. Um, there is another piece of news that we wanted to cover in this section this week, and that is the deal that has been struck between um, Wonderland Pictures, uh, Janelle Monet's film production company, part of Wonderland, which is her, her overarching production company, and uh, Universal. This is this first look deal where a group of people who work al- alongside Janelle Monet are going to be working on um, different kind of multimedia projects and I think we can safely assume feature films in the not too distant future. Um, Paul, thoughts? Good, bad? I mean, this is a good thing, isn't it? It's a universally good, good piece. She's of brilliant, full stop. Like Janelle Monet, her music's great. The films she's acted in have been superb. So. I'm I'm more than happy to sign up to anything she's willing to put a name on as far as I'm concerned. This this cannot be a bad thing. There's just nothing no bad can come of this. Yeah, it <laughs> it does just feel like she's one of those people who you know, you give her the opportunity to do something creative and whether you you love it or not, it's going to be something interesting and something worth forming an opinion on, I think, because like take for example the last um Janelle Monet record that initially I was like really high on and I think since I'm I'm sort of 50-50 on that album and I think there are sort of very high highs and and sort of fairly low lows maybe at times in terms of the quality of the record but like all of it's interesting even the stuff that doesn't fully work is interesting and I mean on the Universal Pictures Janelle Monet front as well we've got this movie Welcome to Marvin um, from the documentary Marvin Cole which will be uh, an interesting one as well because when we talked about this before the show I was saying to you like I kind of in some ways wish this didn't exist just because I think that documentary does such a good job of capturing a particular 
set of circumstances without needing to roll out a, a dramatic feature. I mean, how are you feeling about that? I mean, obviously, from the Janelle Monet point of view, you know, get in as many things as possible. But is this a film that you're looking forward to on the Universal I, slate, slate here, well, Paul? I haven't seen the uh, documentary, and I'm not really aware of what that... I, I, know, I have no, no awareness of what the documentary is based on the source material at all. Uh, I can only go by what I've seen of the trailer from the film. Uh, I have to say, I have concerns. I have concerns it might be the next uh, Walter Mitty, the the um, Ben Stiller remake, which was very twee and really didn't have a lot to say and was a bit too lightweight and, yeah, for my liking. So I have my concerns on, on Welcome to Marwin, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, I I hope to be pleasantly surprised. I think visually it looks great, but, yeah, I think it might be overwrought and a little bit overblown. Right, right. We well, that one, you won't have to wait too long. It opens December 21st. And then, uh, oh, okay. lastly, we've got one of the two Harriet Tubman movies. This one is Harriet, um, which will also... Star well, it it will star not Janelle Monet but Cynthia Erivo, but then um, Janelle Monet is part of the cast for that one. And looking forward to that. It's due out next year. Definitely. Well, we're high on on Cynthia Erivo, so uh, you know, put Janelle Monet in the mix and such a you know important historical topic. And I think you've got a recipe for success. But we'll see. Yeah, by the time that rolls around next year, I'm sure we'll have a lot more to say about both of those actresses and this deal. To be fair, because we'll probably know a little bit more about it. Um. Talking about things that we should um, know more about or should maybe just talk more about, Paul, we're going to be back in just a moment with this week's... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Go hold ahead. On. Have you seen The Lion King trailer yet, Pete? Oh, oh, there was another piece of news. Well, thanks for, yes. for jumping in. Um, a Lion King trailer has dropped. John Favreau's live adapt action. A live adapt live action that's quite difficult to say quite quickly i do apologize listeners live action adaptation of the disney classic and one of my all-time favorite disney films the lion king uh, i think this looks great i think the jungle book was superb um you could argue what's the point if they're going to do it so closely to the source material but they're doing it anyway so that's a that's a moot point i thought this trailer looked really good i think it nailed the mood of it and i'm, I'm quite excited for this have you seen this trailer pete or not i have not seen the trailer no i'm aware of the movie i haven't seen the trailer um but yeah, like you. It's goosebumps. It's goosebumps. <laughs> I I enjoyed um, the uh, Jungle Book, John Favreau movie, live action movie, and so yeah, uh, I I look forward to this. I think, I think. Okay. It, well, it's just such a beloved thing that yeah, you got to go a bit carefully, I, I guess. But um, yeah, no, I look forward to it. I think I look forward to it. What's Sorry, did you just say, what's the release date on that? Do you know? Uh, I don't know the exact release date. I'm going to say summer 29. It's going to be a massive Disney tentpole. Right, I would right, be very right. surprised if it isn't. So I imagine it will go up against the new uh, the new Pe- Detective Pikachu movie as well, which also the trailer dropped recently for. So, yes. <laughs> head to head with <laughs> Pikachu. Um, yeah. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, also, uh, Pikachu the movie is what they could have called the new Fantastic Beast movie, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, anyway... Uh, yeah, we're going to be back then. In that case, in uh, act number two, we've got a big old feature review. And this one is going to be The Girl in the Spider's Web, the new Lisbeth Salander story right after this. So yeah, this is The Girl in the, Girl in the Spider's Web, uh, directed by Fede Alvarez, I do believe, on this one. You may know him from such films as The Evil Dead remake and the fairly recent uh, horror film Don't Breathe. Uh, Pete, do what you do best and set this one up for us. Yeah, so um, this one from the source material, not from original uh, Millennium Trilogy novelist Stieg Larsson, but from novelist David Lagerkrantz, uh, who wrote the book, I believe, after the death of Stieg Larsson, 
himself yeah to sort of carry on with this character much loved character um here we have Elizabeth Salander played by Claire Foy the British actress and she is thrust into a kind of uh, web of spies and cyber criminals and corrupt government officials in the way that Elizabeth Salander tends to be um before we get into our thoughts on the latest Elizabeth Salander tale let's have a little clip you have a sister no. She killed herself three years ago. I can't believe you didn't tell me. That I had a sister or that she killed herself? Both. When our loved ones die, we tell our friends. We have to go now. I need to work. If you have another girl coming, you can tell me. I have to work. So, Pete, are you a fan of this series? Are you a fan of this series in general, would you say? Have you, have you seen much of it? Is it something you're that familiar with? I, I'm not familiar with all of it, but I would say a lot of it. I would say this much in answer to that. I've read a couple of Stieg Larsson novels. I, I regard him as one of those um, like pulpy novelists who maybe, if you really get down to it, is not... not not a great writer, but he's very good at doing what he does. And in this case, creating these characters who um, run on and on and on and on. I mean, like the the snowman protagonist is a Stieg Larsson novel, I believe. And like we've seen other movies that have come from Stieg Larsson source material. And then the original trilogy is this trilogy where I think that like sections of those movies are actually quite boring and plodding. But I think that the Numi Rapace um, embodiment of Lisbeth Salander is my favourite. Then we had okay. Rooney Mara in the American David Fincher directed movie, the I guess reload reboot of the first um, story, yeah, which I really I enjoyed that a lot. I have to say it was a pleasant surprise. And, and yeah, and I think that's the best movie in my opinion in, in this series. I just think that maybe Numira Pass edges out Rooney Mara in terms of, uh, of being this character. And then here steps in Claire Foy, and I think that like it's a good jumping off point maybe Paul that like these are pretty big shoes to fill because you've got this character that's at this point pretty widely known even in you know a place like the UK which is not where the character originates from and then you've got two fine actresses who've already played that character it's a bit like taking on the mantle of James Bond and I guess there's an extent to which the critical response to this movie have has been uh, a lot of like this feels a bit like maybe a slight slightly weaker James Bond movie. Um, first of all, what do you think about Claire Foy in the character? Like, when you see her for the first time in this movie, do you buy into uh, it? Yes. I, I genuinely think you do. I, 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 again, I, I went into this with kind of with really low expectations based on the fact that you obviously, you know, we can't help but to read... I try and avoid reviews generally, but you can't help but see the press on it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Claire Foy pleasantly surprised me, I have to say. I think she looked the part... And I think her performance was was good. She she makes she looks the part of Eloise from Christine and the Queens. That's what she looks the part of in this. It's like they've they've styled her specifically on that currently incredibly popular singer. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think Claire Foy is is talented enough to pull it off. I never fully felt that she had the um, sort of physicality or wherewithal for this character. Perhaps. I mean, I I think as well though that's a an interesting thing because Rooney Mara looks like a sort of human like frail sparrow or something at the best of times but managed to look sort Mm. of 
hard edged and and tough and and stuff in in her iteration of this character. So I, I don't know, man. Maybe I'm being too harsh. I don't think I don't think you'll top Naomi replace. Don't get me wrong. And Claire Foy doesn't do that. And I think part of that is the first time you see a character on the screen. It's quite it's very difficult to reimagine them once you see them. So obviously very well. And also she's just a bit better. Yeah. And no, absolutely. And she's she's absolutely superb at it. And yeah, she's definitely got the physicality of the character. But I don't think Claire Foy did anything approaching a bad job personally. Yeah, I, I, I take your point on, on possibly the physicality, the physical side of the performance, or not the performance, but the physicality. I, I suppose, yeah, with the, with the new replaced version of the character, you could buy her kicking the shit out of men twice her size, whereas with Claire Foy, you, it's not quite so difficult. It's not quite so easy to buy into her being this kind of physical physical powerhouse in the same way that Nomi replace kind of takes the character across if that makes sense so yeah I'll give you that to an extent but to know in the yeah by no means did Claire Foy do a bad job of this I think her performance was good um I think the the film itself you mentioned the um you mentioned the kind of you mentioned Bond there and I've, I've read a lot of things comparing this kind of to a Bond film in a way um do you think those are fair comparisons in in the way that it's structured, do you think it feels a bit? Do you think I? For me, I think it felt a little bit silly in places compa- compared to the more grounded nature of the earlier films that I've seen. This the the plot here felt a, very, a bit overblown and just a bit a bit silly and a bit sort of it all went a bit too far for my liking at times. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, um, I'm kind of with you. I mean, it's a funny one this movie, Paul, because I I don't want to sort of conclude my review of it already no, because no, we're we're just getting get into it. All, but but, yeah. but I get no 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 to say this that I, my overriding feeling about the movie is I remember very little of this movie, yeah. <laughs> and that's not because I'm being careless or you know um, not taking responsibility for the fact that we're going to talk about it on the show, but like. There's very little to to sort of hang your hat on in this movie as stuff that stands out as being particularly memorable. Um, there's a sequence in which uh, a bomb blast goes off in the apartment building or the apartment where Salander's uh, living at the time. And she shields herself from the blast by diving into a bath, which I think is like the action standout maybe of this thing. But like there's so little to me anyway. There was so little here that that really stayed in my memory. And I saw this film a few days ago. Um, no, I think no I, more I, than I'm that. pretty much with you on that one. It's, it's, and again, it's not so that I didn't like it because I think it, so I went to see this, I did a long day at work and I thought, do you know what? I'm, I'm gam- I was like, I'm rolling the dice here because if I go to the cinema tired, I may fall asleep. But you know, it's, it's the worst possible thing to do if you're tired is go to the cinema despite all the loud noises and whatever. Um, and I thought, I'm really rolling the dice here. I was, I'll go, I'll give it a try. And I, I stayed awake so that was a good thing considering I was very tired. But then the credits rolled around and I was like, well, I kind of enjoyed. I think I enjoyed. It. Well, I did enjoy it, but what happened? Like, so I'm entirely with you. I almost, I'd almost forgotten it. It reminded me of the same way that I felt with the latest Jumanji film. Whereas I enjoyed it when I was in the moment, and then I'd just forgotten all about it the moment the credits rolled. Right. I was going to go with a different touchstone, which is the way that I felt about um, Alicia Vikander in the new Tomb Raider movie. Yeah, because that's, a, that's another good comparison to be fair. Like you, were, you were doing a good job, and I think I've probably been slightly over harsh on Claire Foy, but like you've got this, this. Uh, actress stepping into a role that's already fairly uh, beloved and not least because you know an actress of some reputation and ability has been in that role before and in the case of uh, Laura Croft of course it was Angelina Jolie and when you saw Vikander at first it was like oh maybe she doesn't look quite tough enough gritty enough to fulfill you know that that particular role or take on that mantle but then she did a good job it's just that the movie hung around that character was disappointingly flat and I think in both the case of of uh, Lara Croft Tomb Raider or whatever the hell the last one was called and this movie that is sort of the 
the feeling like the the, the yeah, case yeah i think yeah i i, I pretty much co-sign on that as you would say I, but i liked it when i was in it i thought some of the set pieces were decent i think it's very well shot like some of the sweep and vistas and stuff i think i think, I think look great um yeah, and, like, man, the, and the, the the motorcycle chase when she is in the it's in the trailers so it's not particularly a spoiler when when she rides the motorcycle across the frozen lake like the set pieces while you're watching them are entertaining and i'd say it, it's kind of like you per if you wake up with a hangover on a sunday morning you're like i want something mindless i'm, I'm feeling a bit shit i want something mindless to put on bang on girl in the spider's web and you'll have a good time with it but it doesn't stay in the memory at all. Yeah, and just to tag on something you said there, I think Fede Alvarez is a good film director. Mm. Like, I really enjoyed, for the most part, Don't Breathe, and I certainly enjoyed the the Evil Dead remake. Like, we talked about that on the show, and it was the kind of thing where you thought, like, why would you do this? You're just going to get hammered by people who love this movie <laughs> so dearly. And I think he did a really good job and, like, sort of recast that movie with this drug addiction thing at its centre, and it, it made it sort of interesting. So I don't... It's a funny one, isn't it? Because it's almost like we're saying you can't really blame Claire Foy you can't really blame the director, Fede Alvarez. You can maybe somewhat blame the source material, which is I think the source, possibly I not mean, the, the, the strongest. The here. source material is silly. I mean, there's uh, there's reference to nuclear weapons. There's reference to sort of the Russian government and the American government. Lakeith Stanfield turns up in this as well in a quite does, a, in a yeah. quite a, quite a cool role, to be fair. Um, and I'd forgotten about that until we started talking about the film. So, yeah, I just think that the plot is very Bond-like and it's very, very overblown. Whereas the original ones, although they got silly in places, there was a certain there was a certain level of groundedness to them that made them made you feel that they could be happening. Whereas I think you've got such a, a meant-to-be-grounded character as Lisbeth Salander, and then you put her in this like fantastical world of, of Russian nukes and lost sisters and this kind of, again, all in the trailer... Um, but then it it loses some of that grounded, gritty feel that the originals had. And I think that's maybe what detaches you a little bit from it. Oh, I've just remembered what this movie's about. Yeah, this is yeah. like how, yeah. how <laughs> sort of what a confection it was. It just drifted out of my mind. So the, the central uh, thing that propels her character's arc here is to do with um, abuse in, in childhood, isn't it? Um, yes. Or at least yes. the, the threat of abuse in childhood and the relationship or otherwise that she had with her sister. And like, it's funny, isn't it? Because that is like a subject matter of extreme gravity, but the movie manages to be so flyaway and, and slight that I've completely forgotten that that element to the film existed, which can't speak too highly to the, you know, success of the, the screenplay here because it should feel like the, again, without giving anything away about the movie, but like it should feel like the resolution and the catharsis that comes towards the end of this movie is very meaningful and memorable and it, it isn't. No, it just kind of just ends, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm done now. On to the next one, I guess. So again, I I think it's another example of where you can firmly just blame the writing, to be honest, because I think it's what's there is well enough made. I think the performances are good. I would say the the Michael Blumfist character, this the journalist that was played by Daniel Craig, uh, in the US remake, and someone I want to say no, I can't remember who played him in the original version. Someone is it Skarsgård? Yeah, it's Stellan Skarsgård. Is right. Stellan Skarsgård. Like he's both of those characters. Both of those actors play the the journalist really well. And here we've got I can't. I'm not even going to look up his name. Uh, we've got just Mister Forgettable, good looking face in the role of Michael Blomkvist here, and I think that that lets it <laughs> that kind of lets it down a little bit because he's it's a very forgettable performance. I, I, think, and I think I think Paul, you meant Sverrir Goodnarsson. That's who I meant. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, which translated is Mr. Forgettable Good Looking Face. I think you're fine. So, um... oh, uh, Paul, Paul, like, again, such a forgettable movie. We have not even mentioned the fact that uh, we've got Sylvia Hooks in this, we've got Class Bang in this, and we've yep. got her out of Phantom Thread in it as well. Um, yes, Vicky Creeps, Vicky Creeps. Is, is in this movie. Yep. Like, all these great people that we bang on about on the show as being so wonderful, but they don't have that much to do here. I mean, in the, no, in the case of Vicky Creeps is in it for about two minutes, I think. Um, yeah. And she's an incredibly gifted actress. So, yeah, just weirdly flat and disappointing, this, really. Yeah, but in, 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 in other ways, it was, it was all right. Like, yeah. I didn't come out. I didn't come out hating it. Did you see where I'm coming from? It's a kind of it's a weird juxtaposition, really. Like, there's not a lot to rec- recommend about it, but at the same time, there's not a lot you can really dislike about it. At the same time, because it's, it, it, it's pacey enough. Well, it's a, it's a little bit like if you sort of go on a night out and then you're asked the next day how was the night, and you say, <laughs> "Well, yeah, it was good." Well, Paul, what happened on the night out? I'm not really sure. What did you talk about? I, d- I don't really know. I mean, that might be in that case because you're off your face. <laughs> but, say, yeah. but I think the point stands that, like, y- you can't really put your finger on on what you remember about this or why you enjoyed it. But it's a good time, maybe, for the most part, while it's happening. Um, yes. Like so many things in life. So that is uh, the conclusion, I guess. The slightly underwhelming conclusion <laughs> of, a, of a review of a slightly well, underwhelming film. I suppose film. that review was probably as underwhelming as we felt about the film. So I think we've done well, well there. I think we've we're channeled, we've channeled the film. Yeah, absolutely. We've channeled the film perfectly there with our underwhelming review of an underwhelming film. Well, there's <laughs> going to be nothing underwhelming about Act 3, Paul, because after this little break, we come back with our top five badass leading actresses, leading performers or protagonists. We'll decide on the title once we get back right after this. So, title decided. Kick-ass female protagonist. That's what I've gone for. It's better than news. You've got to give me that at least, Pete. Um, Top five kick-ass female protagonists. Um, it's pretty much as simple as that, really. What have we set any stipulations for this? I don't think we have, have we? It's any any age of film goes. Yeah, we we haven't. I think we are gonna see where it goes as we usually do these top fives. Um, I think that both of us are aware that we sometimes make decisions to exclude things from our top five because we might suspect the other person is going to take that one for their own list, and we want to talk about as many different things as possible. But apart from that, yeah, it's just whatever we perceive to be a badass protagonist who is female who was in a movie um do you want to go first paul or uh, yes i'll go first and also after this we're going to do a a little bit of a new feature aren't we pete we're going to announce to you we we are going to announce you keeping that as a surprise no no I, i can trail it here and we'll come back with it after the top five but yeah we have actually got for the first time in our podcast history we've got a listener top five because uh we've done a little bit of work and we've actually got some people to uh pitch in and tell us their opinions about movies how about that uh it might catch on so after our own personal top fives we're going to list off what the listeners went to uh went for i should say in terms of their top five combined and then we'll throw that stuff out on social media and see what people think so paul uh with all that having been said what is number five for you on this list foxy brown Played by the legendary Pam Greer, um, an absolutely hard as nails, certainly kick-ass female protagonist uh, in the black exploitation films. Foxy, well, Foxy Brown as the character Foxy Brown, but then Pam Greer in general, to be perfectly honest. If you look at her in Coffee, um, she then came back in Jackie Brown, playing a similar sort of older, more grizzled version of the same yeah. sort of character. I, mean, I, f- but, yeah, I feel like you've absolutely got, iconic. Your, your pick is is a particular protagonist, though, right? 
So it's Foxy right, Brown, right, yes. Right. I was just going to say, because otherwise we've just got actresses and then we're going to have to list off a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> so no, it is, it is Foxy Brown at number five. Pam Greer is Foxy Brown. Uh, what's your number five, Pete? So number five for me, Paul, is, well, talking actresses, is the actress Charlize Theron, because this could have been uh, Fury Road and this could have been uh, Tully, even, I would argue. But what I've actually gone for... Oh, interesting. Uh, what I've actually gone for is the uh, Elaine, I believe she's called Elaine Broughton character in Atomic Blonde. Um, yeah, the reason I've gone for her basically is because of the lovely fight choreography. It's as simple as that. Uh, yeah, her impeccable style comes into it, her charisma, uh, the exchanges that she has with Sophia Valtella in the movie. Most of all, that the fact that the, this movie is basically, in my opinion, terrible on a number of levels. But Charlize Theron is so good in it. You end up overlooking things like the horrible soundtrack, the music video editing, and focusing on just like glorious violence and her slamming doors on dudes' heads and stuff. She she came to that project and that fight scene in the staircase is incredible. Yeah, she she came to that project with such a a, an assured sort of sense of swagger that you've only got when you're a woman, perhaps who is not 21 years old, but is more like 30 five to 40 years old or I don't know what age she is right now but like she has this wherewithal about her that you don't get maybe from younger actors and actresses and I just thought that like yeah I basically don't like that movie but I think she's awesome in it and I think those fight sequences are worth the trouble of you know whatever it is hour and a half hour and 45 of watching the thing so yeah I had to go for that one although the others are gonna or could have featured on on this list weirdly enough my number four Furiosa from Mad Max nice. Fury Road, Pete, believe it or not. Yes. Uh, played, as you've just mentioned, uh, impeccably well by Charlie Theron here. Um, yeah, just she is more than the match for Tom Hardy's Mad Max, more than the match for the vast majority of the other uh, very, very masculine and very, very heavily muscled characters chasing after her. And she kicks a load of ass, and all of this, she kicks a load of ass, I've done it very poshly there, uh, all of this with only one arm, Pete. Um, and yeah, just an incredibly powerful character, um, and really, and also I quite like the fact that she really, her presence in the film really, really pissed off a lot of twats on the internet. Well, oh, it's, not, it's not called Mad Mary, is it, or whatever they were, or Mad Maxine, or whatever they were banging on about. Um, no, it isn't. But it's great that they had a female character on an even footing with a character with a character played by the ever muscular Tom Hardy. Uh, she was more than a match for him. She brought balance to the film and brought Mad Max kicking and screaming into the 21st century, uh, and the film is all the better for Furiosa's presence that is my number four yeah the the only reason that that character that protagonist is not on my list is because I thought I'd go for just one Charlize Theron uh pick because otherwise it doesn't give others the opportunity and such so no it's fair yeah I went for that okay so number four for me Paul is a movie from 2013 the protagonist played by Scarlett Johansson and it is Under the Skin um, now, I understand this might be a slightly weird pick for this list. Is it on your list, by the way? No, it's not. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it, it might seem like a slightly <laughs> strange thing to pick this embodiment of a character who is essentially an alien entity that inhabits the earthly form of a young woman that looks an awful lot like the actress Scarlett Johansson, uh, who is like out combing the roads of Scotland looking for human prey, uh, these unsuspecting men victims who are going to be lured into a kind of liquid void and their horrible skin bag demise. But like, there's something about the performance from Scarlett Johansson in this thing that 
is beyond just the fact that Jonathan Glazer's done an amazing job with the film and the Mika 2 soundtrack is incredible and a lot of the legwork, I guess, has already been done on those two fronts. But it's the fact that um, she goes through such a transition in the film. And I think that there's something sort of meta badass. Not only badass about, oh, she lures men and kills them, which you might think is a slightly, is like a nihilistic kind of character, but is the fact that... She goes from, like, um, being an alien to, like, otherworldly, detached, unknowable. And then she's seductive and she's alluring and she's warm and she's comforting. And then she's cold and she's callous and she's deadly. And then she's fragile and she's scared and then she's human and then she's gone, Paul. Then that's the end yeah. of the movie. I mean, it. It's a great to me, ending. it's probably Scarlett Johansson's best ever performance and I think that on a number of levels I therefore count it as badass uh, what have you got next at number three uh, I've got Natasha Henstridge in Species no I haven't really um, <laughs> uh, no I've got uh, Natalie Portman's uh, Matilda from Luke Besson's 1994 effort Leon um, or Leon if anyone doesn't want me to do that accent ever again that is quite okay um, yeah I mean for an actor the age of Natalie Portman at the time I think she was 14, 12 or 14, or maybe around that age. Um, yeah, an incredibly bold performance. Um, more than a match for Jean Reno's um, Leon character, the assassin that basically he takes it well she she kind of takes him under her wing as her kind of adopted father figure um and basically yeah she's a very very powerful female character in her own right um and i think that is a sequel that a lot of people would quite like to see to see where this character ends up incredibly well played by a very young natalie portman and certainly uh, was a mark of things to come and like the film's called leon but it could well it could just as well be called leon and matilda because their relationship and what she garners to take from him and like, it's just incredible well, and yeah she's she's more than a match for yeah him. and i suppose if it was called leon and matilda you would have a stronger argument for her being the protagonist in the movie yes <laughs> no to be fair i saw oh, i saw ouch. someone in uh, listener comments feedback uh, and say you know here's my nominations of matilda from leon and like does that count and i think it was you that stepped in i know it was you that stepped in you're the only other person with it was with yeah, access there's only, there's only two of us yeah. uh, and yeah. said yeah absolutely and and to be honest i think it would be churlish to dispute that kind of a pick and there may even be someone on my list possibly who falls into a similar category i can't remember but yeah i, I don't think there's any issue with that and i think it's a really strong performance good pick uh number three for me paul it goes to one that for a bit I had at number one on this list and then I maybe calmed myself down a little bit uh, at number three I've got Linda Fiorentino in The Last Seduction from 1994 oh that's my number two that is oh, my wow. number two Bridget Gregory okay, well, Bridget Gregory is the well, character we can so roll, yeah definitely uh, we can roll from, yeah. <laughs> from one to, to yeah. the other there uh, so this performance won her the BAFTA for Best Actress in a Leading Role among many other awards but didn't win her an Oscar nomination do you know why? No, I don't it know wasn't. Why. I mean, maybe she wouldn't have been nominated, but it seems like the reason given is that the movie did not qualify with the Academy because it was shown first on TV. Because the expectation of the studio at first, I had no idea it was a TV yeah. Movie the the expectation of, first at first was that this was going to be a sort of Skinner Max type, sort of like erotic thriller, Shannon Tweedy type thing. And um, there's even uh, reports that on set the uh, producers were trying to underline to the filmmakers that they shouldn't have any artistic pretensions when 
in making this movie, which is kind of a funny <laughs> thing to, to hear. Um, I want to read a, uh, something and, and, you know, jump in at any point, Paul, because this is your next pick as well. But uh, from the Toronto Globe and Mail, I think this sums it up quite quite well. Legs flashing, eyes smouldering and brain scintillating, Fiorentina serves, Fiorentino, sorry, serves up each facet of her character with venomous glee. And that's what this whole performance is about. It's like this, this way that she's absolutely brutalising the people in her vicinity, guys, essentially. But she's doing it with... Well, we've got, we've got a young Peter Berg here. Oh, well, she's, we she's smashing the life out of Peter Berg. Yeah. yeah. Peter Berg, yeah, yeah. who's yeah. your big, you know, Captain Cock and Balls now, making Mark Wahlberg movies. <laughs> yeah, is made to look like a, yeah, like a little baby. Um, Say something about the movie because I want to read a little bit of dialogue and I don't want to hog the limelight. So, well, I just the, the movie, the way it, the way it twists and turns, and um, just as you think she may be beat because she is a scheming, a scheming temptress. I think is an understatement for for Bridget Gregory's uh, character in this film, or the character of Bridget Gregory in this film, should I say? Um, yeah, and the way it twists and turns, and the, I I I don't think I've ever seen on film. Um, up until no, I don't think I've ever seen on film a more accurate, a more accurate um, sort of description of how women can so easily manipulate men. And to watch, um, apart from in perhaps Widows, in fact, Widows is probably the next film that did it for me. In the way that she plays men is brilliant, and it does just give you a shocking realization of how easy it is to play us. <laughs> well, how how easy and how uh, adept someone can be at doing that as well, yes. because yeah. you, you know. You don't meet a Bridget Gregory necessarily every day. I mean, saying there about uh, how you were characterising this character as being uh, maybe uh, people would describe her in not very friendly terms. At one point, one of the uh, male characters says to her, I'm trying to work out if you're a fucking bitch. And she says, yes, I am a fucking bitch. Don't try and work it out. That is the case. But yeah, so a couple of things from my guide that I haven't fully written yet to um, dealing with Bridget Gregory. First of all, basically warning, (laughs) try not to ever attempt to pick her up so we've got this sequence between the Mike Swale character that I believe is played by Peter Berg as you were mentioning Paul uh, and uh, Fiorentino's character Bridget Uh, so she says could you leave please he replies "Uh, I haven't finished charming you yet she says you haven't started he says, give me a chance. She says, look, go find yourself a nice little cowgirl and make nice little cow babies and leave me alone. He says, I'm hung like a horse. Think about it. She pauses. She says, let's see. He says, excuse me. She says, Mr. Ed, let's see. He says, look, I tried to be nice. I can see that's something you're not. At which point she basically forces him to get his penis out in a bar so that she can further humiliate the guy. It's rough. And um, the last the last one, Paul, I promise I won't read any more dialogue on our show for at least a couple of weeks, uh, is don't get, em- I'm quite enjoying don't get emotionally attached to uh, Bridget Gregory because we've got this little doozy. Uh, she says, you're my designated fuck. Sorry, uh, we have got a, a, an explicit content warning on this show, kids. Uh We've said words. Yeah, you're my designated (laughs) fuck, to which he says, designated fuck, do they make cards for that? What if I want to be more than your designated fuck? To which she says, then I'll designate someone else. 
bang <laughs> done yeah so if, if you haven't seen it like like 100 the last seduction and it's not just bridget Gregory's character that's good the whole film is great the, the, it's it is absolutely superb uh, underappreciated and i think probably fairly unheard of in in a number of circles but um yeah absolutely seek out the last seduction if, if you haven't done so already and linda fiorentino was a great actress and i'm not sure she got that she got the, the sort of stardom she deserved really because she's pretty good in everything i've seen yeah her in. there's there's a um, lot of, of of rumor and and sort of um hearsay about that because she was this actress yeah like you say who was who was really on the up and up in the in the mid 90s not so much the early 90s in which she was in like a a biker uh fat charlie sheen movie that is available on youtube (laughs) don't watch too much of it um but uh yeah she she was on the up and up and then it seemed like things cooled off to the point where she effectively retired and there were reports that she was like hard to work with but then it doesn't seem like there's much evidence of anybody actually reporting anything of substance so i wonder i know there were yeah i mean there's there's territory in which you wonder how her relationship or otherwise with harvey weinstein might have played into the arc of her career but it's pure speculation i mean it it was just a it was just a a shame really uh to to not have more of of substance she did she she at least clocked this incredible performance um, yeah, she did. Right, this brings me to my number one, which means I can probably... Sc- no, it doesn't, Paul. It brings me to my number two. Oh, yeah, so we've jumped straight into your number two, haven't we? Because that was my number two. Oh, that was confusing for a minute there, but we're back. <laughs> <laughs> Numbers. Um, yeah, so number two for me, it's kind of something that you've touched on already, actually. Uh, my number two is Pam Greer, but it isn't uh, Foxy Brown. It is Coffee. Okay. Uh, the the oh, reason I you, picked that's this why, one... Yeah, that's why you were getting me to pick a... Oh, I get you now. <laughs> yeah, the the reason I picked this one is, I mean, it could have been uh, your pick. It could have been, I mean, to be honest, these movies, these black exploitation movies from this period in in the seventies, are what make that sequence in Jackie Brown where she's going along the Travelator and uh, across 110th Street plays yeah. like such a glorious bit of Tarantino filmmaking. Even though, like, maybe he's not my favourite film director. Uh, yeah. So here's Roger Ebert, Paul. He can do a better job than me. Uh, she's beautiful, but she also has a kind of physical life to her that's sometimes missing in beautiful actresses she doesn't seem to be posing or doing the fashion model bit she gets into an action role and does it right and she has great cleavage too roger ebert you filthy boy uh (laughs) In these days of instant total hardcore nudity, it's refreshing to see a mere low neckline once in a while. What would we do without the R rating? Okay, so notwithstanding slightly creepy bit at the end of Ebert's uh, take on this character, she is like kicking ass and taking names and like shotgunning people through the chest almost throughout this thing. But her character has a real motivation because the the whole thing that propels coffee in that movie is that her, the family around her are all getting dragged into the drug life, um, drug addiction, debt to drug dealers and that kind of thing. And she's just trying to straighten the situation out and make things a little bit morally better by doing things that might seem a little bit uh, less than than moral. Um, I said I wouldn't read any more dialogue from movies, but I'm just going to go back on that straight away. As long as you don't try and do a pamphlet voice, I think we'll be fine. I won't. She she's in a in a scene where there's a a drug addict, uh, some kind of uh, tweaker in front of her who turns on her, pulls a knife on coffee, which is not something you want to do. Uh, so she says, uh, quick as a flash, well, she grabs a bottle, she smashes the blo- bottle on the table like it's the most natural thing in the world. She faces down the woman in front of her and she says, so you want to play with knives, huh? Well, you pick the wrong player. 
And uh, at that point, it's like, oh, the fight's over. Because I've got a knife, I could defend myself. You've got a smash bottle, you could defend yourself. But you're coffee, so I've got nothing. I'll leave. Um, yeah, fantastic. Love it. Watch it again uh, as soon as you can if you haven't seen it or for the first time. If you haven't seen it. At the end of the movie as well, Paul, she's walking along a beach, isn't she? She's an avenging angel, Paul. She's bruised, but she's not broken. It's fantastic. I love that movie. What's number one for you? Uh, I kind of got joint number one, to be honest, because the character arcs essentially the same thing. So it would be Ellen Ripley slash Sarah Connor from Alien and Aliens and the Terminator films. Only The only reason I, I sort of quote both of them, Pete, which I'm aware is kind of cheating, um, is that the character arc is very similar because James Cameron does, in, in my opinion anyway, a similar thing with both of these characters. He takes um, uh, initially more traditional uh, tropes of female characters. Certainly in the case of Sarah Connor, um, he takes that she plays the victim, the son put upon victim of this um, relentless killing machine in the first film. And then he transforms her into this absolute badass in the second film. Uh, and Ripley in similar, in a similar way in Alien, although she's more, she's more of a commanding presence in Alien than, than Sarah Connor is in Terminator. But it kind of turns it on its head again where Ripley, well, Rip, no, in fairness, the, the Alien takes the fight to Ripley in alien and ripley takes the fight to the aliens in aliens for sure so it's it's something that cameron does very very well but both of these characters are incredible female characters um and the bit in the end of aliens where ripley turns up in the power loader looks at the alien queen and i'm going to read some dialogue here and just says get away from her you bitch is quite frankly just goosebump inducing every time you watch it uh, and sigourney weaver's and linda hamilton's performances are both absolutely superb in both of these films um i'm very intrigued to see what they do with sarah connor in the new terminator that's coming out rather soon i think it might even be next year um but yeah both characters are powerhouses of uh female heroes shall we say i'd say probably i just prefer ripley but i think that's probably because i don't know it's close it's very very close yeah, like if you had to pick one, imagining you were doing like a Ripley. top five or something like that, Oi. Ripley, Ripley wins. It would be Ripley, yeah. I think you see my point though. It's, it no, I, do. Rip- I, I didn't. Yeah. What I didn't want to do is include both and then just have the same conversation about both of those characters. So that's why that's yeah. why I've, I've, I've slipped them both in there, shall we say. Um, right, and conversely, you don't want to just chuck one off the list because no. you don't want to put them both on the list. So, no, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Makes sense. Um, and now, uh, drum roll, please, it's hipster number one pick from me. Uh, so, <laughs> number one from me is from a movie from 2008 uh, from Thailand called Chocolate. And this is the actress Jija Yanin, who plays the character Zin or Zen, depending on whether you believe the subtitles or the IMDb. Paul, are you aware of the movie Chocolate, first of uh, all? I've heard of it. I think you've mentioned it before. Uh, I haven't seen it. Uh, I'll be honest, I have not seen it. Okay, so here's the lowdown. Uh, Jija Yanin is this young actress. She, at the time of filming, I think it was about 23. She plays an autistic girl. So she's playing younger than her actual age. Uh, She plays this autistic girl called Zen who sets out to protect her sick mother from circling gangs of basically debt collectors or like people who owe debts to the family because her mum's sick and she wants to help her mother. It's a very simple setup because this is a martial arts movie, Paul. And what we want to see is people get kicked in the face. But, the reason why this is so high in fact at number one on my list is because what you had in Thai action cinema at the time was one guy who was the guy who put the country on the map and that guy obviously is Tony Jaa. In 2003 when Ong Bak came out and we were like university-ish kind of age I'm guessing uh I don't know about you, Paul, but I was blown away. It, like, reinvigorated my totally, interest yeah. in, in, like, straight-up martial arts action cinema where maybe Jackie Chan was ageing towards 
the end later stage of his career. I mean, he's still making stuff, but you know what I mean. Uh, Bruce Lee obviously was was a thing of the past, uh, at least in terms of actual productions. And then we got this guy, Tony Jaa, and it was like, wow, this is like a whole new level for modern choreography, right? What could possibly follow that and The Warrior King, which was the, the sequel? I think there was a third movie as well, which followed up Ong Bak. But to cast a girl who'd had three or four years of training was about five foot tall and looks about 16 years old to essentially do sequences where she's replicating a bunch of classic moves and scenes from the likes of Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan before her and the idols that she's looked up to for all this time. So um, in the movie, in fact, you've got sequences that take place, one of them in a warehouse and one of them in an ice factory, where the original plan was to have split screen in a kind of Brian De Palma style, where you've got on the one screen, uh, Bruce Lee performing the original moves in movies that he was in and on the other half of the screen you've got Jijo Yanin doing the moves to the antagonist you know bad guy gang members uh, in absolute synchronicity and they kind of work this all out but then they weren't able to go in that direction because of licensing on the original content that they were trying to use but to me it speaks to this thing that like here you've got a girl who is absolutely shooting for the stars when it comes to like trying to replicate a guy who is almost, you know, you, you can't even, even mentioning the idea that you might want to replicate Bruce Lee would get you sort of laughed out of town in, in a lot of cases, I, I think. Last point on this, um, because I understand that if you've not got any idea what this movie is, this might all seem like a little bit superfluous, but... Um, the first sequence where she has to, you know, crack skulls in massively choreographed fashion. I mean, like, you know, in Ong Bak, loads of people got hurt for real. And I think the same is the, the case here as well. Uh, it, it's kind of beautiful because you know that she's got this aspiration to be sort of a Bruce Lee character. And then you have the scene take place in an ice processing factory these giant blocks of ice where of course bruce lee is known uh, i guess his most his most famous saying possibly or arguably is uh, be like water adapt to the environment with which you're in uh, in which you are and in this case you have a load of goons who are putting water the natural flowy form into blocks that are unmovable and unchanging and the only thing that allows those things to melt and become like water is the fact that they're left lying around because all these dudes are getting their heads kicked in by a barely you know barely 23 year old girl who is just phenomenal at this stuff so like what about being a badass you're trying to replicate bruce lee and you're doing a really damn good job of it uh chocolate's amazing it came out in 2008 check it out it's available on disc and such i, I don't think it's streaming i might try well, i was gonna say i might try and find it now <laughs> sounds great do it, do it, do it. And we'll talk about it again another time. Um, so, Paul, that brings us to the end. Before I get to the listener top five, can you just run down from five to one what you picked? So at number five, I had, uh, uh, sorry, not Jackie Brown, Foxy Brown, uh, played by Pam Greer. Uh, at number four, I had Furiosa, played by Charlie Theron in Mad Max Fury Road. At number three, I had Matilda from the film Leon, played by Natalie Portman. At number two, the character of Bridget Gregory from the film Last Seduction, played by Linda Fiorentino. And at number one, and joint number one, I had Ellen Ripley and Sarah Connor from the Alien and Terminator franchise, respectively. Pete. Nice. Uh, so for me, uh, Charlie's Theron got on my list as well with uh, her character named 
Broughton in Atomic Blonde. That was number five. Number four was Scarlett Johansson's character, who I believe is called like the girl or something like that. In it doesn't really matter. In Under the Skin. Um, then I had at number three, Paul also on Paul's list, Linda Fiorentino's character from The Last Seduction. Uh, at number two, I had Pam Greer as she portrayed Coffee. And then at number one, I had Jija Yanin, uh, the tiny little, uh, well, tiny little girl. She wasn't a tiny little girl. The young woman at the centre of... Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's the last yeah. thing I'd say to anyone's face uh, after after uttering those words. Uh, yeah, from Chocolate, that was a, a movie made or released in 2008. Which brings us to the listener top five. So, Paul, we have from our listeners the Michelle Yao character at number five from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which was definitely a character that was on my long list for this and, and yeah, yours no, as well, pick, maybe. Great pick. At number four, we have uh, debatably the protagonist, but, you know, uh, we've decided that we're not going to worry about that too much. Number four is Trinity from, uh, well, this is Carrie Ann Moss, of course, from The Matrix. I think we're we're allowing Trinity. Uh, Stop being such a hard ass. Yeah. It's not top five badass yeah. Pete picks all the top five pick films <laughs> no f- fair enough uh, number three is uh, Ripley from Aliens played by Scorny Weaver of course uh, number two we've got Furiosa played by Charlize Theron from Mad Max Fury Road and the listeners have put a protagonist at number one that isn't on either of our lists Paul do you know who it is it's The Bride played by Uma Thurman from Kill Bill um, came close I think I think came close to my list yeah yeah, it came close to mind. I mean, initially, I, I I tried to do this weird contortion where I was like, no, actually, the one I'm going to put on is Lucy Liu. But then seeing as I'm banging on about who's the protagonist, it wouldn't have been very good if I'd put Lucy Liu on my list. Uh, <laughs> ha- having said that, like, I... I just think I can't get past the fact that I don't love those movies enough to to put her on the list. I think that's what happened for me. I mean, why didn't Uma get on your list, do you think? I think it's because I, I actually, of, of Tarantino's work, I quite enjoy the Kill Bill films, probably one more than two. But again, I've kind of gone off Tarantino in recent years, so it's it's difficult for me to look at that. And I mean, it's a great performance yeah. from Uma Thurman. Like, don't get me wrong. And the set pieces in that, in certainly at the end of Kill Bill One, the fight against the crazy is it crazy eighty eight, I think they're called. Um, and that's again an incredible piece of filmmaking. But yeah, I just I just think it's because Tarantino just kind of annoys me now, and I, I it didn't really jump out at me. But maybe it should have done certainly because it is an incredible performance from Uma Thurman, and it's certainly a justified a justified pick from the listeners for sure. Uh, and maybe maybe she should have made honest. Yeah, maybe she should and, have made honest. And I mean, I don't know if you've watched any of the recent output from Greg Davies on uh, Taskmaster, but the comedian Phil Wang has kind of ruined the Uma Thurman character in that movie because right. he decided to do the whole series wearing the sort of yellow jumpsuit thing from Kill Bill okay. with his testicles all waving around. So yeah, that's made it more difficult. But I think I need to go back and watch those movies again. Because like you say, I like you, I prefer the first one to the second one. But I think there's a lot of good in there. It's just I mean it could have been one film. Let's let's be really frank. It didn't need to be I mean arguably it is one film split into two parts, but it didn't need to be as long as it is. Well take for take sure. out five to ten of the foot fetish sequences and then you might have had, yeah. you know, the <laughs> yeah. space to make it one movie. But uh yeah, thank you so much to everyone who pitched in with their opinions. Keep doing that. I'll keep throwing up um, the list that we're going to have on the show before we actually get to the record so that you can wade in and tell us exactly what we need to talk about when it comes to our list and maybe where it is that your opinions and ours might diverge or converge or whatever. Paul, anything else to say before we check out for this week? Uh, No, I'm going to tell you now, Pete, what I think we're going to do on next week's show. And I'm going to, hopefully, you're going to agree. Hopefully, I'm going to say this and you're going to agree with this straight away. Are you ready for this? We're going to feature review Creed 2 and then we're going to do our top five sports movies. 
Boom. Oh, so sports, not boxing movies. Well, I, well, we could do boxing movies, I guess, but I reckon that's a fairly we can we can debate that amongst ourselves. But I reckon that we, sounds like we a might show. have to split the difference and come down like top five combat movies, like hand to hand combat movies. We could, we could. I'd lo- just listeners at home, there, Pete did put his fists up there in a way, in the way that I found quite intimidating, <laughs> even, even over a webcam. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I suppose we could have this discussion about what we're going to do on next week's show, like off mic, couldn't we? Off so, air, I suppose. Yeah. yeah so uh, before yeah, definitely we definitely Creed two, definitely Creed two. Creed two sounds amazing. Yeah, for totally in for, for, for some more Michael totally. B. Jordan and Tess Thompson stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apart from that, guys, please uh, continue to pitch in with your ideas, as I was saying, and give us feedback and stuff like that. It's all awesome. Uh, find us on Facebook, obviously. Find us on Twitter. That's obvious as well. Um, or and if you've seen any of the films we've talked about, even in the whatever we've been watching, however brief that section can be, if anyone else has seen shoplifters out there then please tell me what you thought of it i'd love to know if anyone if else, anyone's lucky well, if anyone else has seen skin trade with dolph lundgren you know let us know about that as well <laughs> uh you know all these all these films maybe not created equal but they're all ripe for discussion um <laughs> otherwise yeah the only other thing to mention all the old episodes of the show are available on the soundcloud page which is soundcloud.com slash stranger in the cinema so if you want to go back we've reviewed stuff over the last sort of four years and it's it's kind of interesting i think to dip back into uh the stuff that was coming out then as well um anything else paul uh, no cool <laughs> in that case um you know we're gonna karate chop the stop button and bring this thing to an end um it's been an absolute pleasure see you next time see you next week shut up and sit down